Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, since we're here on the first Sunday of Advent, I thought it would be appropriate to ask, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Maybe several come to mind for you, or maybe there's one in particular that you have to watch every year, or it's just not Christmas time. Maybe it's an oldie but goodie, like like White Christmas, like it is for my wife, or uh, Frosty the Snowman, or maybe it's a more recent treasure like A Christmas Story or Home Alone. For my mom, her favorite Christmas movie has always been It's a Wonderful Life. Now, when this came out in 1946, it was actually a monumental flop in the theaters. Years later, though, a filing error by Republic Pictures, who owned the copyright license, um, caused it to, to expire. And so the television networks were able to play this movie by paying virtually no royalties. And so, year after year, It's a Wonderful Life made the holiday airwaves and became the beloved Christmas classic that we know it as today. The movie has even been ranked the number one most powerful movie of all time and the number one inspirational film of all time by the American Film Institute. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the plot, the movie stars Jimmy Stewart as the likable George Bailey, who lives in the small, quaint town of Bedford Falls. George is an all-around good guy, and the first portion of the movie shows a couple of scenes from his childhood. Uh, The first one, he and his brother and a bunch of friends are sledding, and his brother Harry falls through the ice. And George jumps into the frigid waters and saves his brother's life, losing his hearing in one of his ears as a result. In the next scene, he's working in a drugstore, and Mr. Gower, his boss, accidentally fills a prescription with poison pills and uh, George catches the mistake and saves another boy's life. George's father owns Bailey Brothers Building and Loan, a company that, that works to provide housing to the residents of Bedford Falls when they would not be able to afford it otherwise in difficult economic times. And so this continually frustrates Mr. Potter, the richest and meanest man in town whose greed and avarice drives him continually to try to shut down the building and loan. And we have a scene to introduce you to Mr. Potter here. Did you put any real pressure on these people of yours to pay those mortgages? Time's up bad, Mr. Potter. A lot of these people are out of work. Well, foreclosed. I can't do that. These families have children. Not my children. But they're somebody's children, Mr. Potter. Are you running a business or a charity war? Well, all my Not fun. with my money. Mr. Potter, what makes you such a hard-skulled character? You have no family, no children. You can't begin to spend all the money you've got. Oh, I suppose I should give it to miserable failures like you and that idiot brother of yours to spend for me. So Mr. Potter is a heartwarming fellow. Um, throughout his childhood, George's father keeps Mr. Potter at bay. And George greatly respects his father and admires the work that he does. But George himself has big plans to leave Bedford Falls and see the world and do important things as he shares with Mary in this scene, his future wife Mary, once he's grown up, if we could play that. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college to see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. 
But something always seems to get in the way of George's dreams. Even in that scene as he's talking to Mary, he receives word that his father has had a stroke and then he dies. George has this big European tour all planned out but he has to cancel it so that he can stay behind and run the building and loan temporarily. Then he plans to go to college after that but he has to give up on that dream as well because the board decides that the only way they're going to keep the building and loan open and out of Mr. Potter's greedy hands is if George himself will stay and head it up. So he gives his college money to his brother Harry instead. So some time passes and George ends up marrying Mary and they've saved up $2,000 to go on this, this great honeymoon. But on their way out of town they find out that Mr. Potter has called in all of the loans that his company holds and all of his customers are tempted to go over to Mr. Potter's bank. And so George uses his own honeymoon money, all but $2 of it, to guarantee the, the withdrawals that all of his customers demand. Again and again, in fact, George foils Potter's nefarious schemes to take him over. And so Potter ends up actually trying to bribe George into taking a job with him. It's very tempting, a lot of money, but it would mean closing the building and loan. And so George is opposed to Potter's evil ways and doesn't give in. Again and again, George demonstrates that, that he always puts the needs of others before himself, sacrificing his own desires for the good of his family and his friends. And as a result, he never leaves Bedford Falls. As his brother Harry goes off to college and then becomes a hero in World War II. Then on Christmas Eve, Harry is scheduled to come back into town and have a big celebration. That same day, George's Uncle Billy goes to make a deposit at the bank of $8,000 for the building and loan. But while he's there, he accidentally hands over all of the money to Mr. Potter in a newspaper. And uh, Mr. Potter takes the money and hides it, and Billy has no idea how he lost it. So he runs to George and tells him that something's gone terribly wrong. Now it just so happens that a bank examiner was also in town that day, and he's uh, going to, to do an audit. And so George immediately knows that the lost $8,000 will mean bankruptcy, scandal, and prison. So George goes home and verbally abuses the members of his family, storms out of the house in a huff and uh, ends up in front of Mr. Potter begging for his help. Now Mr. Potter knows what happened. He knows that George is, is trying to take the blame for Billy's mistake and yet Mr. Potter still accuses George of all sorts of things and ends up telling him that with his life insurance policy he's worth more dead than alive. In complete despair, George drives to a nearby bridge and considers ending it all.
Now this guy, the man that George saves from drowning, is Clarence, George's guardian angel who's been sent to the earth to help George and to earn his wings as well. That famous line from the movie, you probably know it. Every time a bell rings... Yeah, that's not true. Um, An angel does not get his wings every time a bell rings. Um, In fact, Clarence is a man who has passed away. And uh, according to what God tells us, a man who passes away is still a man, does not become an angel. But uh, but we'll kind of just let that be for now. Um, So as Clarence and George dry off in a nearby toll booth, uh, George starts to talk to Clarence a little bit, and Clarence tries to talk some sense into George. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it would been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. And so for the next portion of the movie, um, (laughs) Clarence grants George his wish. A world in which George Bailey had never been born. So George returns to town... And uh, nobody recognizes him because he never existed. And George barely recognizes his own hometown because Bedford Falls has become Pottersville, this sad and perverse place. The building alone is nowhere to be found. George learns that Mr. Gower went to prison for poisoning a child. His many friends whom he had helped find housing and now live in dirty shacks owned by Mr. Potter. His uncle Billy is in an insane asylum. His mother runs this sketchy uh, boarding house. And Mary, his wife, has become a miserable old maid. But worst of all is what George learns in this scene. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You went here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George... You really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? In your sermon outline for today, I have just three questions for you to consider. I'd invite you to turn to that now and look at that first one with me if you would. How might things be different if you had never been born? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? In a way, I hope you haven't because if you have, it probably means you found yourself in George Bailey's shoes, uh, disparaging your life and its worth. But that's not how I want you to approach the question today. Instead, I want you to take a moment to ask yourself, how has God used my life so far? Whose lives has God influenced through me? In the movie, George saved his brother Harry's life, and years later, Harry saved the lives of many soldiers. Through Jesus Christ, God has saved your life. And he sends you forth to to share that life with other people. Now you might be thinking to yourself, I've I've never literally saved someone's life. 
And maybe not. But maybe you have. I, you know, God uses our lives in incredible ways, and I think most of the time we don't see the full extent of how he is working in other people's lives through us. Maybe that coworker whom you befriended when no one else would found, found hope and joy because of your friendship in a way that, that he wouldn't have otherwise. Maybe that son or that daughter who stopped going to church altogether is going to remember your example of faith and will return to Christ when he or she grows older. Clarence came to teach George not to give up and to give him insight into how valuable his life truly was. Both It's a Wonderful Life and God's Word remind us that that no one's life is meaningless. Each person's life touches so many other lives and God gives each of us a purpose, his purpose. In Ephesians, Paul says that, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your life's purpose is to do those things that God has prepared in advance for you to do. We can't see the the big picture. We can't see from God's perspective. In many ways, our perspective is like that of a puzzle piece that can only imagine its place in the overall picture. But as we've been, been learning and seeing together for the past few months through the story, God writes his upper story in concert with our lower story. God does have a master storyline and you are a main character. And so if you are ever feeling hopeless or worthless, wishing you'd never been born, I'm here today to tell you that God delights in you and that he has given you a purpose. Now the words I just shared from Ephesians are preceded by some of the best known words in the Bible where Paul says that that we are saved by grace through faith. Not by works so that no one can boast. Our value is found in Christ Jesus. And that's what frees us to serve other people. I think this is at least a little bit of what Jesus meant when he said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. George Bailey came to realize how important his life was too. to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. The second question in your outline is this. How are things different because Jesus was born. Perhaps another way of asking the question is, if the manger had been empty that first Christmas morning, how would things in our world be different? I think the first and most obvious answer fits very well with the words George just said. I I want to live again. In the movie, George does live again. And we know that the baby boy born in a manger in Bethlehem will grow up to die for us and to live again. And because he lives again, we will as well. I found myself as I watched It's a Wonderful Life again this year actually comparing 
George Bailey to Jesus in many different ways. Throughout his wonderful life, George always put the needs of others before his own. Just as scripture says, Jesus emptied himself, made himself nothing, becoming obedient even to death, even death on a cross. When George is tempted by Potter to give up the building and loan for his own comfort, he refuses. Just as Jesus refuses when Satan offers that he give up his kingdom for his own comfort. George suffers these baseless accusations from Potter and even takes upon Billy's mistake upon himself. Just as Jesus takes all of the accusations that Satan throws at us and lays them on himself. George goes about his father's work, though reluctantly at first, of caring for people by providing them with homes. Just as Jesus willingly and lovingly goes about his father's work of providing all of us an eternal home with him. Without George, Harry, all of those soldiers, that little boy, all would have died. Without Jesus, we would all still be dead in our sins. Without George, Bedford Falls would have become Pottersville, and instead of a beautiful housing development, there would have only been a cemetery. Just as without Jesus, this world would always remain under the power of the devil, and in place of God's renewed paradise, there would only be a world of eternal death. And while George is said to be worth more dead than alive, I don't think we can say the same of Jesus, but his death has won for us eternal life, the best life insurance policy there ever was. I am so thankful that we do not have to imagine how things would be different without Jesus. Because the manger on that first Christmas morning was not empty. But the grave on that first Easter morning was. Jesus lives. And so the question I'd like to send you out with today is the last one on the outline. How does the eternal life won for you by Jesus impact your life right now? In the movie, George Bailey realized that his wonderful life had meaning and he found great joy in his community and in his family. And in this famous scene, his friends come to his aid. Now you stand right over here by the tree. Right there, and don't move. Don't move. What's happening? George, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Who's that? 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 They scattered all over town collecting money. Didn't ask any questions, just the charge in trouble and tell me you like it spread like fair. Another run on the bank. Here you are, George. Merry Christmas. There we are. The line farms on the right. George Bailey learned that his life had incredible meaning. And uh, as the scene goes on, his brother Harry comes in and, and says to George, my older brother, the richest man in town. Well, your daily wonderful life has meaning too. Because of your family, because of your community, but especially because of the manger and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, who, as Pastor Bender just read, John says of him in his gospel that he brings life and light 
And as he wrote in his epistle, he says, Jesus is eternal life. George's friends end up bringing him money to thank him for all that he had done for them. What can you bring to Jesus this Advent season to thank him for what he has done for you? A special offering of thanks, perhaps. A life that daily reflects his love in Christ. A friend to worship him who hasn't been to church for a long time. How does the eternal life won for you by Jesus impact your life right now? So I'd like to leave you with that question and with these words of Jesus one more time. I have come that they may have wonderful life and have it to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace which transcends our understanding guard your hearts and your minds in and through Christ Jesus our Lord, now and forever. Amen.